This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. It had looked like it was going to be the story of the season at the Bernabeu as City played well but seemed on course to lose to a defensive error. But something changed and not only did City keep their heads but they managed to complete a miracle. No, not beating Real Madrid on their own patch but they actually scored a penalty. And that's only good news ahead of a cup final on Sunday which could go to spot kicks. Although we're all hoping that City have got the job done long before that becomes a possibility. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast where we'll review the victories over Leicester and Real Madrid. Let's look ahead to the coming cup matches with Aston Villa and Sheffield Wednesday. Our EDS expert Sean Blinkhorn is back on the show plus we'll hear from Howard Hawking too so pop the kettle on and put your feet up for an hour of Manchester City discussion I'm your host David Mooney with me in the studio is City fan Chris Higginbottom I hope you're alright not too bad thank you and uh, Mr Stat City himself Adam Carter hello hello how are you both doing grand after last night yeah pretty uh, pretty chipper good to hear well that's the only place we can start really um, what will the result like that do Adam oh it's ridiculous I know we need to start with the caveat of it's only half time uh, the cliche but I think massively we needed to win that because of everything that's going on off the pitch with the away for appeal and the ban I think we needed to send a statement and we did I think we managed the game superbly we're going one nil down at the Bernabeu um, other times we would have crumbled or trying to got a bit gung-ho but we didn't change we stuck to the game plan I thought we'd, well when we brought Sterling on it gave us a bit more impetus up, up front. But Stretched the game a bit. Yeah, though, didn't it, it did. And I just think it's a massive result. It can't be underestimated at this time. In any other season, it would have been a good result at, at, at away at Real Madrid. But I think the message we need to be sending out, because all we can impact is on the, our football on the pitch. Uh, the courts will decide whatever that nonsense is off the pitch. And I think we just need to keep doing performances like that. And it, did, it would have sent a message out across Europe last night, that definitely. Is there more belief there now, Chris? Do you think? Do you think? Did it look like the, the like we talked in the past about how when City take a, a knockback in games, especially big games, they're very easily they they very easily crumble. And this City didn't do that last night. Yeah, I think uh, there should be a lot of a lot more belief. They got told to play a certain way, which a lot of people didn't expect. Um, you know, they will have trained to play that way, but they've been told to play in what has been perceived as unexpected or odd or why has he done that kind of thing and it's perhaps not always worked when he does that and it does work then obviously it gives you because they, they do believe in it they play if he tells them a certain way to play they go 3-0 down in half an hour against Liverpool they carry on playing that way and ultimately it doesn't work and they're like well we'll trust him because he's the boss and he's pretty good it usually works well yeah but on the occasions that he goes a bit left field and it doesn't work they they do carry on that way, but it's got to give a lot more belief when they're doing something a little bit uh, off piste and it and it comes together like that. Even when mistakes happen, your linchpin goes off, and you still carry on, stick to the game plan, and yeah, it, it bore bore fruit, didn't it? Pep was good after the game though, where they said, "Was it a tactical master masterclass?" And he just kind of shrugged and smirked and went, "Well, yeah, because we won." <laughs> <laughs> which it, says it all really it is funny because he only ever gets told he's overthinking games when they've lost I mean he, he, if they'd lost on, on Wednesday night he'd have been told oh you've overthought this yeah the, the tweets and headlines were written well an hour before an hour or so before kickoff as it is um, we're all texting the WhatsApp group what's he playing at my head what, fell off I'm not yeah, going to lie I saw the tape and yeah, my head fell off I think everyone's did and you 
you don't need to make apologies for that fact. I think we're all looking, thinking, right, Aguero's our best striker. He's not on the pitch in our biggest game in in years in Europe. Because uh, we've known we've known this game has been our biggest game of the season since December when the draw was made because the league was over. Um, and then, so you're looking forward to this. This is the lineup you're looking forward to the most, our biggest game of the season. You're looking for Aguero. You're, you're looking for Sterling, who's been rested uh, or as he's coming back from injury. And then on the pitch. So then you're thinking the last time that happened was United away in the League Cup. We were three 0 up after 35 minutes. You th- we're not going to hit the. Uh, d- with all due respect, they're a different calibre of a, of opponent. I've as... got I've got a feeling. You know, eight of the of the ten outfield players were the same as that as Old the, Trafford game. Mm, did so, Fernandinho play in the Old Trafford game? I don't think he started that, did he? Because mm. he was my biggest surprise last night. Fernandinho not, not being in the team. Yeah, another, yeah. So another one where your head falls off because Fernandinho is not. In the middle, if not in the middle at the centre back, I could kind of count on Aguero rotating for Jesus just because of the work rate. It's yeah. away from home. You need to harry them and and press. And not that Aguero isn't good at that, yeah. but Jesus's work rate is something else, isn't it? I can't believe you didn't bring Aguero on at all. I thought maybe he's thinking, well, we'll wear them down and then maybe rotate yeah. it later on, and Aguero will come on and pick them off with his. You know, it was a masterclass though. Um, there was a bit where Edison had the ball after about twenty minutes, looking for his options, and Pep just said, "Hold on to it." He literally put his <laughs> hand up and went. And I've never seen him do that before. And he, he's changed. He's always been very stubborn, but he did actually change his approach. He didn't go ultra defensive like a lot of people said he was going to before the game. But in parts during the game, he slowed it down from the touchline. And that's once those players cross the line, it's it's a good thing you're able to do to really conduct it. And that's what it was last night. And that was his, his orchestra last night. Just like night. in taking control of an orchestra. Yeah, exactly. Had the same sort of, uh, sort of thing. And it, it's funny though, Chris, because you look at how City have gone out in the Champions League in the last two seasons. Liverpool at, at Anfield, game was over inside half an hour. They, they were 3-0 down. And, and It was over on the bus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then the Spurs game, where they were so reluctant to, to open the game up at, at the new White Hart Lane, and everyone went, well, that, that's a missed opportunity. Now. That was too defensive. I well, this, this, on Wednesday night, it felt like a very healthy mixture of the two. They were very, very defensively compact. They weren't going to stretch the game and open it up. But they had Real Madrid exactly where they wanted them. So we're learning. It's just saying that that's that that's that of conducting of the orchestra is literally is turning it on and turning it off to suit that game. And we've not had enough of that because I think we've always thought about playing. You mentioned it before. We'll stick to how we usually play, and he's actually mixed that up now. And hopefully, this is a formula we've needed now that he can mix a match within the game. Uh, and it proved you know priceless last night. Mm. Yeah, I it's mean, maturity, isn't it, to be able to. Control, exercise that level of control. Yeah, many people wanted. I mean, after the game, it's it's already been written that you know Madrid were there for the taking, and Guardiola should have gone more more open and attacking from the off. But how do we know that Real Madrid weren't as subdued, weren't that subdued? Because that's how City let them play. Mm. I mean, well, as a direct answer to that, I have I have been led to believe that Zidane has got them drilled a bit more uh, close shop, concentrating on defense first uh, of late. Not really worked because they lost and drew the last uh, couple of games, didn't they? Yeah. But yeah, there's definitely you know they're not they're not just going to sit back at home in the Champions League. Well, I'm, and try I mean, and play for they're going to try and win, aren't they? But we we all I'm thinking is that limited if, them. If, if City were were to play their usual four three three sort of formation and, and and leave themselves open to those counter attacks, how do we know that that Madrid don't have more of the ball and don't do a lot more with it? Do you know what I mean? City's, City's shape and formation forced Madrid into playing as badly as they did. Absolutely. There's definitely an element of that. Absolutely agree. Yeah. 
yeah. and there should be a you know due credit accorded. Yeah, not no, too I, much though, because yeah, because it's only half time. You yeah, don't want to get ahead of yourself. Yeah. I know, I know exactly what you're feeling. Um, it felt, Adam, like City's most composed European performance, certainly of the Champions League era. Yeah, I think it's um, a, certainly a turning point and typical City that we learn how to play in the Champions League just before we're getting kicked out of it. So, <laughs> um, like I say, we've turned the corner, but hopefully it's not into a dead end. I think we can. the proof will be in the pudding in the return leg because we know exactly what we've got to do now. They've got to come out. Um, and I think Pep will exercise this newfound, as if we're saying that Pep's, Pep's found new tactics, but he has had to evolve, especially with this City team who shoots itself in the foot constantly. Um, I think it'll the proof will be more in the pudding in the second leg now. Of, if, is this a new type of Manchester City performance that we're capable of? Because we've only known the all-out attack. It's a new experience. I don't, new... I, I, don't re- I don't remember against the European giant in a knockout game, City having the lead in the, at, at the break. I said to the guys in the pub where we were watching it, I said, we were 2-1 up in the burnabout in the 18th minute last time. In the first time <laughs> we were there, we lost 3-2. I didn't feel like we were going to lose last night after we went ahead with the penalty. Obviously, I was nervous when they had some forays forward, but I did feel it was controlled. And how refreshing to feel like that as a City fan. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the the other thing that we saw, Chris, and I, I he's not going to grab the headlines from this performance, but the other thing we saw was Edison pulled off one of, one of a, the best saves he's made this season. In the first half at nil nil, and we one haven't of the few saves he's made. Well, like, this is it. We've not seen we've not seen a lot of of those sorts of saves from him this season. So no. it was good to kind of get that back. It's good to be um, cast against the sort of mirror of their goalkeeper as well. Who uh, for Jesus's goal was kind of similarly headed back across him, got nowhere near it, straight through his hands, wasn't it? But Edison, um, yeah, really good save. It's very difficult, isn't it, when someone heads it back across you. Yeah, I mean, it, it could have. I can't remember if that was before or after Laporte had uh, had gone off, but it, it could have. That injury could really have knocked City's stride. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's again, it's one of the most admirable things about the game to lose Laporte because when he plays, we generally don't concede, and we've crumbled in the past when company's gone off. You can see it affect the players. Uh, look on his face as he went off. It was very, you know, you think, oh, he really is. Company's replacement, <laughs> um, but we we rallied and yeah, it's a great uh, great show of character. I just hope he's not too badly crocked. Apparently, it's, no, it's not the knee, is it? So yeah, we can gain some solace from that. Yeah, he did look distraught, Adam. Yeah, he, I think he knows more. Obviously, he. Or was it just the fact that he's returning to Spain? He'd probably built the game up. He'd been targeting this game. We knew. As soon as he was injured, Pep said, as long as he's back for the knockout stage of the Champions League. Um, before the game, I thought, right, no stupid tackles, no you know penalties, no sending off early doors. I hadn't, uh, comp- I hadn't accounted for an injury. I thought those days were behind us with the luck <laughs> we've had. And then, again, it goes back to that gamesmanship and the, of carrying the games management, should, should I say, he goes off and it didn't rock us at all. You, of late, um, Otamendi's looked great next to Laporte because he can hold his hand through the game. We've discussed it at length on the podcast. Um, but Otamendi, apart from the, their goal, obviously <laughs> there was three people in the mix up there. He he looked solid with and without Laporte, and that was a he needed a performance like that when Laporte's got off because, like you say, we referred to him as the linchpin there, and uh, it didn't really cost us as much as you think. You ha- you've got your head in your hands as soon as you see Laporte's gone down. Yeah. I mean, my head fell off when I saw the team. I put it back on. He went off, and it fell off again. You know, it just I can't. I, I can't imagine how. Like was a gummage. Yeah. Um, you did mention no penalties there. City got an, another penalty. Yes. Uh, they managed to put this one in the net, Chris. I know, and I was 
weirdly confident that he would score, whereas um, against Leicester, I was watching that in a pub in town and I was watching at work and you knew it was we knew we were missing just, it yeah. I went to the toilet didn't even need the toilet <laughs> I just knew we were going to miss it and I couldn't bear to watch another uh, you know gut-wrenching miss but lo and behold so it, so it transpired yeah. but yeah Kevin had every faith in him even though the last one he took he, he missed, missed. Yeah. so it's, that's one in two now It's uh, make him the main man as good as it was though Adam spoil sport Guardiola on the touchline did not let Edison run yeah. the length of the pitch to take it I don't think we're going to see an Edison penalty that isn't in a shootout um, as much as we'd all love it you can just imagine that mad dash back to his goal line when he misses it pulls a hamstring goes down <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> carnage another City penalty just carnage yeah did the fact that De Bruyne took it so coolly and converted it may not make you question why, even though, even though he'd missed against Everton all those years ago, why he's not been on them sooner? Yeah, see, I heard back in after he had missed that penalty that he wasn't keen on taking them, but in recent interviews he said like, he'd have no problem taking one. It's as if nobody had asked him. Exactly. Like, what, penalties? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'll take penalties. Um, why has nobody mentioned it to him? <laughs> and and I've, I fancied Gundogan on penalties before his recent miss, and we've just kind of just got that bad look, and it's in your head again. I talk about elephant in the room. The more penalties you miss, the the heavier the burden is when you take one. To have that burden away, away uh, at Real Madrid, eighty <laughs> odd minutes to go because they don't even concede penalties at the Bernabeu in that in that competition. So to have gone one nil down, get yourself in in level pegging, and to have a penalty to take, uh, just Mister Cool and proper captain's performance, and I think he uh, relishes that role now. Yeah, he was great, wasn't he? I mean, while we're on penalties and De Bruyne, uh, was he lucky not to concede one at Leicester? Do you think? Yes. Uh, again, I think um, it's really weird because I, I was, didn't understand why it wasn't given, especially against us. It just <laughs> seems like they give, they're just throwing us some scraps at the end of the season, decision-wise. Because um, it all levels itself out. Oh, the yeah. Season. <laughs> so now you can say, yeah, well, see, you did get yeah. away with that one when it didn't yeah. matter and nobody was bothered. Yeah, but because the argument was that it didn't extend the silhouette of his body because it was in front of his face. Um but like for anybody, any reasonable football fan watching that, you go, well, he's got his hands up yeah. in front of his face. Yeah, it's a penalty. Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? You're not allowed to protect your face anymore. I don't think you are. Oh, no, I think you are. I think that's the thing. But, but I, it, was at the, it was twizzing around with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but I'm also of the, of the age, well, just get your face in the way of it. Yeah, you know? use yeah. your face. Good use <laughs> of the face. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting that the VAR didn't call that one and then went back and when City's penalty at the end came up, did call that one. Um the VAR was at Leicester was also the one that had missed the Lacelso red card at Chelsea. Yeah. Does that worry you? The fact that that you can have the same VAR for two games and then he's still got something on his mind from the first game. Yeah, um, it's just a long shift, isn't it? Um, I just the VAR thing is just absolutely puzzling. Still, however far in we are now, um, is there any um, point scoring like the on-field referee is assessed and if he's had a good game he'll be used next week if the ne- if he's not the next week he'll be taken out of the firing line a VAR's uh, uh, scored yeah, the same way you were rubbish this morning you're yeah. not doing the list again exactly that's a long shift that I'd imagine yeah part of my ignorance on this how do they are they referees or are they yeah. like VAR they're, refer- they're referees and assistants yeah. right so mm. yeah it's, it is a strange thing that they get to do two in one day because like it must be mentally pretty intense yeah. well you'd hope it should be because they should be engaging as much of their brains as possible yeah. how much that is being done I don't know or how much brain there is to be engaged <laughs> is another question I don't Naughty. think you should be able to do two, two games two in a day. day no I don't 
Especially if you've done terribly that morning. <laughs> the first one, yeah, yeah and we get you it's, for the next. It's going to be on your mind, one. isn't it? Because it's like, yeah, you know, the massive mistake you made this morning. Try not to do that again. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh God, I'm yeah. really, really cocked up. There. Not even, got, not even got a chance to sleep on it or anything yeah. like that for the next day. Um, was Was Edison lucky to get away with punching Kalechi in the head? Yeah, I think he's made every intention to go for the ball. Um, it's a coming together. It looked a nasty one. We'd be screaming for it at the other end. I'm not having that. No, I don't think it was a penalty either. And I'm in the goalkeepers' union, so I'm oh. not allowed to. Uh, I'm not allowed to have an opinion on this yeah. one. Really. <laughs> I said he's gone. For, he's made a genuine. But are you not screaming for it at the other end? Um, probably, but I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> so no, I, I, I think um, he was definitely not only going for the ball, but he seemed to get it. And he got the ball first. And yeah, exactly. He, he just followed through. It, it was it was one of those decisions where where Kalechi had been caught in the head, and the referee gave a corner because like. It, it was either a penalty or a goal kick. Yeah, you could make an argument for either one. So what he's done, he split the difference, give a corner. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they do that, don't they, refs? Trying to yeah. make a little compromise so everyone's just as unhappy as each other. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, before we move on to the next part of the show, I want to talk about Gabriel Jesus because it's been a very, very big week for him, Chris. Um, he was excellent in Madrid. He scored two important goals in two two games. This this could be the making of him this week. He's an excellent footballer. Um being compared to Aguero, guess what? Nobody's Sergio Aguero apart from uh, the obvious, so it's unfair to compare people to him. Just let him be himself. He's really, really good at what he does. Uh, I hope that games like last night, not only are the making of him, but you know, help convince him that this is where he needs to be. I don't want him going anywhere. I think he's a great asset to have. and um, Obviously, we're not going to have Aguero forever. We, we need people like him in our forward line to carry us where we where we need to be on the, the trajectory that we're on at the moment. Are we too hung up on comparing him with Aguero, Adam? Yeah, I think um, because there's only, the way we've played over recent years, there's only one striking spot, if any now, the way we play. Um, and obviously that needs to be Aguero if you've only got space for one. So naturally we're going to compare the guy that does come in for him as his, is he the heir to the throne. I think we've seen different perform. Aguero wouldn't have given us the performance that Gabby did last night, and that's easy, easy to say after the after event the fact, because yeah. we're all screaming for Aguero's inclusion before it. Um, I, I said um, on a podcast earlier in the season that I thought he was going to be the natural replacement to Sergio, but I don't think he is. I think Sergio's going to get another replacement who's more like uh, a typical striker, and but there's, but there's definitely a job for Gabby to do, and I think... He's got other facets to his game, hasn't yeah. he, that are equally as uh, important a, to a team. He's almost sometimes our best defender on the pitch when, when he plays. Mm. Literally, the, to that hurrying and pressing that he, he puts on their back four. I think he's... So I'm now going on record to say he's not a Sergio's replacement, but we don't need to compare him to that. Yeah. He's going to be his own person, as cliche and as cringe as it sounds. He's going to be Gabriel Jesus, and he's the type of player that, if we did let go, would come back to haunt us massively. Yeah, I can see exactly what you mean. Um, one final question for this first part of the show. Can we talk about the double denim? <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> like, I mean, obviously, Aguero... Manages to look good in that. John Stones, John, John, Stone, John Stones was an absolute dish. In he that. was smouldering, yeah, wasn't he? He looked like a cross between Steve McQueen. <laughs> um, what's the What's the Rebel Without a Cause guy? Um, um, Marlon Brando. No, no, no. Oh, is it? Is it Marlon? Brando? I thought it was Marlon Brando. No, it's uh, Died in a Car Crash. <laughs> Jim, James Dean. James Dean. Cross between yeah. James Dean, Steve McQueen, and well, John Stones. Yeah, I'm just gutted we didn't see Brian Kidd in it. Yeah, that would have been a sight, wouldn't it? But what that did, the rest of them look like 
Um, have you ever seen Brother Where Art Thou? They look like escaped convicts <laughs> yeah. or something. They look ridiculous. Those clod hopping shoes and like yeah. half masked denim. And Double like, denim. Well, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Not something you'd be going out on at, at weekend? No. Um, are we being sponsored enough of that? Even even if we were, no, no chance. <laughs> now, City have always had a reputation as being one of the clubs who would bring through youth players, but as City moved their way from mid-table also-rans to back-to-back champions in the 2010s, I've been speaking to our EDS expert, Sean Blinkhorn, to look at what's changed in the last decade. If you think of where we were, we had the first team in the run-down Carrington, the academy was still at, at Platt Lane, which it had been for since it was in Cheadle in the 40s. So that was as the 2010s began. The CFA was an, was actually announced before the dust had even settled on the on the FA Cup win in 2011. They didn't waste any time whatsoever. And then it opened on the 8th of December 2014. Uh, it feels like a, a lifetime ago now. Um, it, it feels like it's been here all along, the CFA. But now we're in to a, a completely different era of of world-class facilities and uh, every arm of the club being under one roof, you know, even the women's team, everything is now in one area. So, yeah, all change on that front. So there's, you know, there's been a couple of pots as well, a league title. They haven't quite got the FA Youth Cup jewel in the crown that they've wanted all along. That's the one, though, isn't it? That's the one that they that they, they seem to cover more than any. It is. You can tell the way... They, I've, I've mentioned something like this before. You can tell the way they pick the sides... The under-18s league side is just scholars. Um, everybody else gets pushed up to under-23s. But when it comes to the Youth Cup side, they pick as strong as they physically possibly can. Getting to uh, three or four finals in 10 years isn't too bad. You obviously, you'd want to win the thing. But to get to those finals then has seen a slow but steady progression of, of players from those those finals as well. So um, obviously, as well, there's been uh, there's been lots of players come through at that uh, at that time. City of, of I I always think of City as a club with a tradition of bringing through youth players, which which might have have slowed down a bit more in the in the kind of Mansour years. But it's it's still been the case that they've had players come through. I agree with you. When you actually look back though, and you look at where these players have gone on to, it's the the picture starts to look not so not so pretty for City. There's certain players when you look back and you, you you look back and you remember somebody who's you know may have who may have come through in the in the 2010s, um, and you if you go back and have a re- research these players you'll find that there's in general there's like a downward progression of where the careers go after they leave City. There's a lot of players that just kind of disappear into nothing. I'd imagine that's it is the case in a lot of academies, but with us it seems to happen more often than not. Even players like Roni Lopez. And Denis Suarez, who, who bought in, but you know, still academy graduates. Uh, Suarez less so, I'd say. Um, their careers have just started to slide and slip and slide away. And I just wonder sometimes how much of a fault of the academy that is. If we look back at the actual players from the decade. So the first to make his debut in the 2010s was Dedrick Boyata. And the final was Tommy Doyle. If we had a look across that list and try to pick out players who could be playing for City now... Not next year when we get the Champions League ban, but now. <laughs> um, you're looking at... Ben Mee's had a really good career in at the pretty much mostly in the Premier League at Burnley. And Karen Reckick's playing quite a high level with, with Hertha in, in Germany, but I don't think I could possibly make the case for them. The only one really is Kolecci because he's, he seems to be back on form for Leicester now. 
And if his career stays where it is or even increases, he was always a brilliant finisher. He's the only really one that I could pick out. So if I was going to, to throw that back now at you personally, David, uh, with all that in mind, what would be your best moment of the last decade for City's Academy, do you think? I I don't know if this is kind of recency bias that has, has kind of clouded my judgment over this. We're all excited about Phil Foden and about how he's progressing at City. We talk about it on the show every week about whether or not he is, you know, if he's not getting the game time, is he ever going to hit that point, even as a City fan, that he's going to want to leave the club? So I, 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 I still, when I think back of highlights of academy graduates, I, I, I was going to say Foden's first goal for City, but I actually think it's that goal he scored against Spurs. The um, Early in the game, uh, they'd just been knocked out of the Champions League. He was thrown into the team because I think Guardiola said he'd sensed that week in, in training after that Spurs game in the Champions League. That, okay, that Foden was, yeah, he was, he, he, was, he was kind of the positive influence in the squad. Um, so we put him in, and it just it, it paid off wonderfully. And I thought at that point that was going to be the moment where, maybe not for the run-in for that season, but certainly it, it would showcase this season that he would be much more involved than he has been, to be fair. Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, I, it's hard to, to top that moment. I'd, I'd say we're a little stuck on that moment at, at, the, at this present time. You know, we haven't really had the progression we'd want to see, if 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 nothing else. I personally would pick the goal at Oxford, his first goal, because I don't think, other than in 2012 and any goal versus United, I don't think I've ever celebrated a goal more than that. It was a beautiful moment for me, so I'd pick the, that goal at, at Oxford, his first one. Did you see him um, trying to recreate that the other day? Yeah, he was. And did you notice it was at, in Moston at FC United's ground? That was a very yeah. odd choice. Only took him only took him two two efforts as well, I think, didn't it? It, was, it just yeah. just shows the mark of quality of the lad. Yeah. He is an exceptional talent, a generational talent, if you will, the, the phrase that gets knocked around these days. He even spoke himself with regards to playing time uh, a little while back. He mentioned, uh, oh, 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 I've played 50 games now, I've played 50 games. And I recently I thought, yeah, he has, but how many minutes has he played? So he's up to he's up to 60 now and he averages about 40 minutes per game. And I don't know whether that's good or bad. That actually sounds a lot better than... I thought it would. It's better than I was expecting. I'm not going to yeah. lie. So I, I compared him to someone I've always liked, um, Morgan Gibbs-White at Wolves. He is in the same age group. He played in the, the same under-17s final with Ford and with England. Um, he doesn't average that. He averages about 33 minutes per game for his 66 games for Wolves. I've always liked him as a player. He's obviously a step down, but Wolves are a step down from us. Wolves players are a step down from us. So I think it kind of... Levels out, so maybe he is about par. Then you look at Ryan Brewster and what little game time he gets. I'd say Foden tops the lot, and is that good that he should be playing? the The big challenge for the academy going forward, not just with him, as we move into the next decade, is we need to start creating players that and giving them opportunities. The academy can't really dictate that as such. They need to make sure that. These players are, un, you know, cannot be turned down, and to a certain degree, they seem to have done. If we look at Jaden Braff now, he's every every single clip or second or game that you watch of Jaden Braff, you sit there thinking he should be playing now. He should be playing. Obviously, there's things going on behind the scenes that we don't really know much about. But I've always been an advocate of we've not really 
produced the players for even backup levels, never mind blitzing ahead and creating a generational talent like Foden. Could we have got to the point where we didn't have to buy Wilfred Boney? Could we have made somebody good enough? Surely we can make someone as good as Wilfred Boney. We had the we, dis- we were having the discussion every week on the show that season why Boney was playing ahead of uh, Iheanacho, though. So, I mean, in fairness, yeah. there was somebody there. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Gabriel Jesus is another who gets described as generational talent. Brazilian has the weight of the world on his shoulders, plays number nine for Brazil. If he's not good enough for City, what can we do? What can the academy do to ever reach the sort of level of the first team playing regularly without a complete change to any known uh, you know, production levels across the Premier League, across maybe even across Europe? I think it's a real big challenge going forward. Just for now, we need to find out how to get these top, top, top level talents into the team, consistently playing the game time we need. Will we ever see the likes of a like a Don Revy's lead side that had like six or seven youth players in in the first team within you know a, a year or two of him taking over? I'm not so sure. We'll see. Well, just have to see what happens going forward. For a pledge of two dollars a month. You can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Sean Blinkhorn there talking to me about the EDS. It's all about the Cups now going forward. Uh, City are going into this final uh, flying high now, Chris. Absolutely. Uh, Good run. Aston Villa, I'm sure, will be delighted that Aguero didn't get on the pitch on Wednesday night. Yeah, it'll be raring to go, won't he? It does feel, though, like like performances are gathering a bit of momentum now, a bit of pace. You look at uh, from West Ham to, to Leicester to Real Madrid, it feels like they've been building up. Absolutely. It's the form to be in approaching a cup final. Um, I, I, I don't know. Well, I had a look, actually, at um, a Villa forum earlier today, looking at how they were feeling about it, you know, trying to get a... A view from the other camp. Always very wary of calling out other other clubs for doing this, just in case we ever say anything daft on here. No, it's not that they said something daft. It's just uh, it's just amusing that the, they had a match prediction thread, and uh, option one was Villa winning ninety minutes, eight percent. Option two, City winning ninety minutes, thirty percent. Uh, option three, Villa win on penalties, fourteen percent, and pointedly, City win on penalties. Zero percent, which is pretty pretty decent of them, and uh, the the winner by forty eight percent was massacre. <laughs> and I'm not sure if they think they're going to massacre us, but uh, yeah, make of that what you will. Yeah, um, City have won the last eight trips to Wembley, um, Adam. It's it's kind of a home from home this now. Yeah, I think we've got our own parking spaces, haven't we? Um, we yeah, it cost me twenty five quid ago. <laughs> yeah, um, we've got a lot of big game players in the team now. We know how to play at Wembley. It does feel like a home-from-home, home, as you've said. I think we need to be confident. I'm glad that that West Ham game that you just mentioned was brought in the re- to be replayed before this run of games. It helped us get that momentum, let's say, going into Leicester, going into Madrid, and then off to Wembley. Um, we need to be confident. We've beat them, I think, 9-1 on aggregate across the two Premier League games this season. Aguero's got, got the beating of defenders, famous last words now. Um, but... We- yeah, Wembley's a home from home. We love playing there. We've had relatively good success over the years there, and I think it'll continue on Sunday. I think the fans need credit, though, for this, Chris, as well, because going to Wembley is not cheap. No, I mean, that's why I'm not able to go. But, um, yeah, they, they turn out in the droves every time. Have we won, is it eight times on the trot? It's eight, last eight on the bounce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so record speaks for itself. Um, 
got to be encouraged by that, haven't you? And the atmosphere's, you know, we generate uh, a decent atmosphere down there. I yeah. think we've got the, uh, is it the south side? I'm in 515, whichever side that yeah. is. I can't but remember. We've not got the green man. That, that's, the other side, yeah, 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 which is a really good pub for Wembley. I, I get I get confused by which <laughs> side of Wembley we're on. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I, I get it mixed up. I've sat in that many places in Wembley. It's, it sounds, it's such, know, so, so first world problems. But uh, I've sat in that many places in Wembley now. I've got no idea. I can't orientate myself in the stadium. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine my distress at that, it's, honestly? It you football fans brilliant. that never get to Wembley, you don't know you're born, honestly. <laughs> um, it's a struggle. In all honesty, though, Adam, less worried about penalties now. Yeah, like I say, we've got the... Because, I mean, if it goes to a shootout, De Bruyne will take one, Edison yeah, will take eight, one. I mean, yeah. what more do you need? Yeah, exactly. We've got the monkey off our back. You'd hate for the first penalty you need to score being in a cup final penalty shootout. Mm. So the fact... We've got that out of the way now, um, and we, weirdly, although we've had a wretched penalty shoot uh, penalty uh, form, we've actually done decent in penalty shootouts over the years. So uh, it's weird how that can be a different dynamic. But yeah, we've, we're not going into a penalty shootout having missed our last penalty now. Here's one for you, Mister Stat City. Uh, last penalty shootout they lost. Uh, I want to say something mad like Brighton away. I think it was Brighton away in yes. uh, in the League Cup in about 2008. Yeah, I'm no good without my spreadsheet, so you're, you're better than me <laughs> off the cuff, so I'll take that. I think it was. I mean, I could be wildly wrong, so yeah. if, if I am wrong, do let us know uh, <laughs> at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. <laughs> also this week is, is Sheffield Wednesday away, Chris. Mm. Um, it's been a while since we've gone to Wednesday, so it's quite a nice draw in, in that regard. Yeah, and we're uh, playing them on a Wednesday. Wow. <laughs> Wednesday on a Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. I know, it's serious. Um, yeah, that always brings back memories of Ali Benabia and that game six where two. we were 6-2. Yeah, yeah, those were the days, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, Benabia, one chop, mm-hmm. and uh, Danny Granville. Yeah, Gota scored that day as <laughs> he well. Did, he did, yeah. he did. Um, they're 12th in the Championship, though, Adam. This isn't going to be a simple turn-up and wrong them over tie. No, I think it'll give us, give us a go. I think we'll have to be... There'll be a battle there. It won't be uh, a, similar, a similar game that we obviously had in Madrid la- last night or certainly on the open pitch of Wembley. I think we should have enough. We- Our season's resting on these cup competitions now and Pep's a serial winner. And I, I think, in yes, he had a game to go and win last night in-, in Madrid, but the way he rested players, Fernandinho, Aguero, Sterling, he's obviously got plans for this weekend as well. As if to say, if we couldn't get the job done in Madrid, let's... You know, we'll still have some options for for Sunday at Wembley. I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that. Well, you know? I, I I think Guardiola is very very focused on the next game, mm. and whatever comes after that, it's like we'll deal with that problem yeah. when we've got past this problem. So you think it's so I, I, I think I think his team for Real Madrid was purely for the Real one Madrid. I think that will win this game. Okay, not, well, not not I'll take Sterling out and, and rest Aguero sort of thing. Well, in in the fact that he has done that, then allows. Because we've got a decent squad, let's have it right. To now roll up players out for for Wembley, and those players that don't play will play against Sheffield Wednesday, and they'll have to do a job. Because, like I say, Pep's a serial winner. He's going to want to win these games now. The league's miles over, um, and I think there will be a battle. But I think we'll we need to win convincingly. I'm just hoping it's not another Wigan performance uh, when they not start the I FA think Cup. He's wary of that he does learn, doesn't he? I mean, what would what was the strength of the team like against Wigan? It was rotated, but it was still fairly strong. I mean, it was going to be stronger than Wigan. And they went but... down to 10 men on the stroke at half-time as well. Yeah. So they were 10 against 11 when Wigan scored. Yeah, fair enough. I just remember like when we played Burton, 
the team was ridiculously strong, wasn't it? It was like really, really, like <laughs> felt a bit tight on them, you yeah. know, without meaning to sound patronising. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, it probably will go pretty strong because I think the uh, the way the league has kind of evaporated before our very eyes is is smarting. Yeah. Mm. So to win what what else is left on the table? I was going to say he's, like, he's got opportunity for silverware this weekend, and then if he can follow that up with an FA Cup as well. I mean, it's, it sounds awfully entitled to say two two cup wins is not a good season. Absolutely, it's going to be a good season if we if we win both those cups in the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that simple banker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep keep your league. Yeah. yeah. Um, VAR trophy. The one thing about this FA Cup tie, though, is it's an FA Cup tie midweek. Yeah, I'm a traditionalist. I think it should be weekends first and replays in midweek. It just goes to show how much of a farce that winter break was. Mm-hmm. I think it, we all agreed it was probably needed, but certainly not. Some play half of the winter break and some play the other half. We then get a postponed game that gets rearranged within the, the end, tail end of that break, and the, you, you're just creating more fixture congestion. It's farcical, isn't it? Yeah, and we're, everyone's complaining, or certainly fans of lower league teams are complaining about the bigger teams devaluing the... Um, the FA Cup but it's going to be harder for people to get to a midweek game for an FA Cup um, FA Cup tie and I just think it's not helping the image of that that uh, cup that's having to be moved out for winter breaks and, and totally the like totally agree I think it's a real well, it's shame not, it's not a bad trip to Sheffield but it could have been a lot worse couldn't it midweek? well yeah it could have been like South Coast or. but it's a real shame for the tie because it's just not going to be the same atmosphere people got work in the morning even if you're from Sheffield um, it's just not as not as good to go on a Wednesday night and it's a shame for the competition as well it, it's like just, uh, just bad form all around really it's a bit of a pity but as long as we pick up the uh, the win and progress I suppose that's all that matters but that's like it's, yeah we just again we come back to this time and again don't we the way the fans are uh, disregarded and um, here we are again the FA says you know they used to accuse clubs of doing it the, but it's the FA really that are, that are devaluing it there's only one thing we can do at this stage uh, with two cup competitions on the horizon. Um, it's surprise quiz time. Oh, oh right. he's done it again. <laughs> it's time for a surprise quiz about City at Wembley and City against Sheffield Wednesday. So this one's going to work a little bit differently uh, this time. There's still six questions, still one to six, pick a number each, all that sort of thing. Um, but this one compares City's record at Wembley to the record at Hillsborough. And let me say, uh, first off, that one of these questions, I'm not going to tell you which one, but one of them is an absolute stinker. So uh, good luck on the pair of you. Adam, I'm going to let you go first. Which one would you like? Number one. Uh, question number one. Where have City faced teams outside of the top flight the most? Is it at Wembley or at Hillsborough? Hillsborough. Hillsborough, says. Hillsborough's right. Sheffield Wednesday five times outside the top flight. Wembley once, just Gillingham. I would have got that as well. I knew that one. Chris, what's, uh, what pick a number? Six. Number six. Uh, where have City kept the more clean sheets? Wembley or Hillsborough? Well, surely the probability, the stats of it would suggest it's got to be Hillsborough because we've played there more but they've beat us quite a lot and I'm just going to say Hillsborough you would think oh. two clean sheets at Hillsborough compared to nine at Wembley two ever two ever in over a hundred years in over a hundred years 
Typical oh, Can I change my prediction for later in the show? <laughs> uh, pick a number, Adam. Still 1 0 to you. Five. Number five. Uh, where a city. Sheets. Two clean sheets, yeah, honestly. Uh, where a city on the longest unbeaten run? Wembley or Hillsborough? Wembley. Wembley, they have eight. Mm-hmm. Hillsborough, they have six. Yes. 2 0. Chris, you need this one. Which, which one are you having? clean sheets. That's <laughs> goalkeepers for you, that. I tell you. What a disgrace. Sorry, pick a number. Pick a number. What's left? Uh, you can have two, three, or four. Two, three. I'm still reeling, to be honest. Uh, four. Always pick the stinker. Oh, <laughs> of course I have. Of course. Uh, who was the last player to score for City at both Wembley and Hillsborough? Peter Bart. No, no. Um, <laughs> um, Gota. No. Oh, behave yourself. Why not? Never scored at Wembley. Did he not? No. I thought he... Uh... All lock and dick off with that team. Yeah, but didn't he take a... He didn't get to his didn't penalty. Didn't get to his penalty. Oh, you absolute That wouldn't swine. have counted anyway. That wouldn't have counted. Adam, you've got absolutely no idea, I'm assuming. Um, not a clue. Not a clue. Uh, it was Mark Lillis. Scored at Wembley in a 5-4 loss to Chelsea in the 1986 Full Members' Cup. In that same season, scored in a 3-2 loss at Sheffield Wednesday. The great Mark Lillis. Mm-hmm. Adam, you've won. So, uh, final question, pick a number, two or three. Two. Question number two. Where have City scored the most goals, Wembley or Hillsborough? Well, the way this quiz is going, I'm saying Wembley. Wembley, they've scored 49. Hillsborough, they've scored 56. Oh. Sound you that one as well. So fix this. <laughs> final question uh, for you, Chris. Can you can you claw some dignity back? Uh, question number three. Uh, where have City players seen more red cards, Wembley or Hillsborough? I'm going to go for Hillsborough. <laughs> you would think. Uh, the balance of probability says Hillsborough. But right, they've never going, had, forget they've, it. Right they've never it. had a man sent off at Hillsborough. Really? Uh, but Zabaleta was sent off in the FA Cup final uh, at Wembley. So, uh, so yeah. So, Adam wins 2-0. All of those stats came courtesy of snapcity.co.uk. So, Adam, if any of them's wrong, it's on you. <laughs> Hang on uh, a minute. This sounds a little bit... <laughs> I win my own quiz. Yeah, he yeah. asked me to provide the questions. <laughs> wow. It all becomes clear. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Always good time for a quiz, I think. Um, mm. Adam, you, uh, you you look particularly chuffed. Well done. <laughs> Redeemed myself. Now, uh, no wins on the charity bet this week, so we stay on £665. We're raising money for the Christia Cancer Hospital in Manchester with William Hill, and that's by making predictions on City's games with a £10 correct score single each. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Aston Villa, and uh, uh, Chris, what have you gone for for this one? 3-0, City. Uh, 3-0 City is 11-2 to two and £55 if you're right. And then for Sheffield Wednesday, what have you gone for? I've gone to 2-0 for Manchester City FC. Uh, is 11-2, to two, so £55 if you're right there. Uh, Adam, what are you having for uh, for Wembley? I'm going for 3-1 City. It's 9-1 to one and £90. And uh, Sheffield Wednesday? 3-0 to City. It's 13-2 to two and £65. Uh, and I've gone 2-1 for City at Wembley. I think it'll be a, a tighter game than the league games were this season, uh, which is £85 at 17-2. to two. And uh, 3-1 at Hillsborough for City, so uh, that's 9-1 to one and £90. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. Please gamble responsibly. And for more information, have a look at begambleaware.org. It's time now for Howard Hawking. Let's have some whataboutery. How has it felt supporting what apparently is our grubby little club over the past two weeks? Tiring? Depressing? Energising maybe for some? Whatever the feelings, this is rarely dull. And as the dust settles on a historic victory in the Bernabeu, we were reminded that supporting City has given us so much, whatever the future holds. This was a night to puff your chest out and be proud, 
and more importantly laugh at the rabble of journalists who were lined up to slate the team should they have come away from Madrid with a defeat. Better luck next time, shills. But what of the future? Well, none of us know. Our board members and executives are angry, but have hardly played a blinder themselves. But what must influence at least partly some of our owners' anger at the ban is what they know of what goes on elsewhere. Not only what goes on elsewhere, but what already has and is in the public domain. A fair trial? Don't make me laugh. Because if you want to call City cheats and the club grubby due to their antics, then you're going to look like quite the hypocrite if you don't say the same about a lot of other clubs. And that's the last thing a football journalist would want to be accused of, God forbid. So let's look at that list of grubbiness in a what about of his special. PSG need no further comment, as you will be aware of how rules don't really apply to them. But before we look at the recent list of misdemeanours, not surprisingly there has been multiple mentions of all English clubs being thrown out of Europe. What may not be known by all is that Liverpool's ban in 1985 was originally indefinite but was reduced on appeal. I guess due process was fine in that instance. I find mentions of Heysel uncomfortable and perhaps disrespectful, and not really relevant to what we're talking about now. But how far back do you go? Do we what about with tales of Juventus stripped of titles or Rangers being wound up? Well, The Guardian was happy to publish a risable piece on City's 1906 scandal yesterday. Its author even suggested that cheating has been a part of City's DNA throughout their history due to two episodes over a century apart. You truly couldn't make this drivel up. Anyway, back to more recent times. Fact is, other clubs transgressing just isn't as important as City doing so. Not as sexy, perhaps. Do you remember Chelsea's transfer ban and their announcement of it getting considerable coverage? Not really, though it was only downgraded to one window in the end, thus still assuming guilt. I guess their transgressions don't count as cheating, and a transfer ban just isn't as big news as a Champions League ban. Do you think the news that City were not found guilty after all of offences over the purchase of Jadon Sancho got as much news coverage as the initial news they were being investigated? Of course not. But this is how the world works, I guess, as seen by hidden newspaper apologies on page 17 every week of the year. I find it weird that whatever City's selective number of staff did or didn't do is seen as worse than what fans of other clubs would do on a regular basis, most notably be racist. But then they're not English clubs on the whole, not the worst offenders anyway, as Mario Balotelli will confirm. A bad tackle gets a play more stick than a drink-driving ban that puts people's lives at risk. We have a warped sense of perspective in this country. But what of other clubs? In 2013, UEFA's control and disciplinary body decided to ban both Fenerbahce and Besiktas from their competitions as a result of a match-fixing scandal in Turkish football. In 2016, UEFA confirmed it would be imposing bans for its competitions for three years on the Ukrainian team Dnipro, the Azerbaijani side Inter Baku and Romania's Tarju Muras. Apologies for the pronunciation. In the end, the ban was reduced to one season. A few years ago, Twente violated the country's transfer regulations. Third-party ownership has been banned in football by FIFA, but Twente sold the rights of seven of their players to a company based in Malta. In 2016, Galatasaray were given a two-season ban by UEFA, having breached financial fair play rules. Stour Bucharest were kicked out of European competition, but the sanction was deferred for a probationary period of five years. As for racist fan behaviours, the list of punishments is depressingly long and depressingly gentle in the punishments handed out. Porto, Lazio, Dynamo, Kiev, Stara, Bucharest, that's them again, Debrechen, Maribor, Spartak, Moscow, Zenit, St. Petersburg, Lyon, Red Star, Belgrade, Partizan, Belgrade, Slovan, Bratislava, plus some other teams whose names I can't pronounce, and a good few more I won't have located on a quick Google search.
The list, after all, is very, very long. Tell me, which type of offence would shame you as a fan more? Your owners moving sponsorship money around or fellow fans making monkey chants? Answers on a postcard, please. FFP failures are just as prevalent as I Google on the day United's increased debts are announced and no one bats an eyelid. As for the argument that City signed up to these arrangements so have no excuse, well, City didn't agree to Premier League FFP regulations for starters, but with UEFA, what choice did they have? They have to sign up to participate, and such agreements are often little more than a compromise due to hands being tied. Anyway, the rules don't clearly apply equally for all. That's what they'll be telling Cass, even after we get past PSG. After all, all the teams that made settlements with UEFA in 2014 for failing FFP, including City, failed FFP by a country mile. Initially, 76 clubs were investigated, yet only one club has been reinvestigated due to illegally obtained emails. The Russian clubs involved are an interesting case in point. Teams such as Zenit St. Petersburg, backed by Giants Gazprom, who of course have been big UEFA and Champions League sponsors, used the argument that they needed to break FFP to remain competitive in Europe due to the poverty of their country and their league. It worked pretty well, leaks showing UEFA making a secret agreement with the club, not wishing to upset the apple cart with a Russian World Cup on the horizon. City will be well aware of all of this, of course. Zenit just happened to be Vladimir Putin's favourite team, which I'm sure is mere coincidence. Zenit's further punishment seemed to include being given the 2021 Champions League final. That'll tell him. And hey, I've barely have time to mention AC Milan, who was slapped with a UEFA ban, and guess what? They got it overturned at Cass. I wonder how the Italian press covered the initial news of the ban, rather differently to the UK press, I imagine. And UEFA's first raft of FFP announcements in 2012, 23 clubs fell foul, including Atletico Madrid. Many later received reprieves, as City may well do, of course, in the future. Many, many more clubs will be named by UEFA in the coming years, receiving sanctions. None of the clubs, though, were a traditional European powerhouse, nor were any of them with £400 million of debt. You've probably got the idea by now. If we even assume City did something wrong and deserved punishment, a cast may decide this, and they may well have done something wrong, then the point is that they are not alone. They're not the worst, most arrogant club in existence because of what they've just done and the fact that much of the UK press have not only laid into them but taken the side of a corrupt organisation like UEFA, an organisation they are happy to spend the rest of the year slating, speaks volumes. After all, some journalists seem absolutely aghast that rules may have been broken or flouted occasionally. This sport that they thought was a paragon of virtue is not all it seems. Who knew, eh? I'm Clyde Tilsley. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, Barmy and I, Barcelona, and all that. Yeah, that Clyde Tilsley. Um, you're listening to the Blue Moon podcast. Enjoy. This is the Blue Moon podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Howard Hawking there. Now it's time for Ask the Panel. Get your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, first up is Joshua on Twitter. He asks, can we talk about how negative Steve McManaman was on BT Sport? He shouted no when the penalty was given and accused Jesus of diving when Ramos was sent off. Talk about bias. Let's get under your skins. Um, I'm not so sure it's the... Uh, bias that he may or may not display that gets under my skin it's just his incessant screeching <laughs> like high pitched <laughs> accent and, and just 
it's just the way he speaks, basically. I, I mean, I don't know. My idea of hell would be to be trapped in a room with him and like a hundred of parrots owned by him, all doing impressions of him at the same time. Can you imagine that? That'd be so bad. We we a friend of mine used to have a parrot that used to be able to mimic a dripping tap. <laughs> really? Yeah. Just in middle of, middle of the day, just drip drip drip, just could do it. <laughs> not not quite that bad. He used to do the phone as well. He used to imitate the phone and then answer it himself. So like, he used to answer it as well. Yeah, yeah. He'd go. Oh, he used to pretend to answer like it. that. Yeah, yeah. Right. You see? Didn't think I was going to do that on tonight's show. I'm you not going to lie. Getting but, commentated. Yeah. Do you think he was biased? I'm going to stick up for him on the no on the penalty. I think he was saying no at the appalling defending of him diving in on Sterling. Right. I do think he. He was very quick to judge Jesus, though, wasn't oh, he? Oh, yeah, exactly. That I don't think he could defend himself. I think he got caught up. He forgot where he was for a second. Well, a few on a few occasions last night. I think there, I hate being this agenda brigade and saying, there's, but there's evidence, evident bias in there. And I think last night was a bit of a poor showing from McManaman, if I'm honest. He's well, got his Madrid fans to appease. Not that many will be listening to BT Sport, but... Um, Played for City as well. I know, oh, yeah, I mean, I don't understand they, it. They soon yeah. forget that. Well, we've got McManaman commentating on the game. We've got Rio Ferdinand in the studio who made a few jives. Frankly, he shouldn't be there. He was so delighted on Twitter, apparently. Oh, yeah. When, um, yeah, he was like yeah. laughing his head off yeah, when we yeah. got charged. And then he backtracked thinking, oh, I might not get paid yeah. <laughs> by BT if I carry on down this route. Joe Hart was in the studio. Joe Hart was very... Awkward, I felt it. It must be hard for him to be fair, because he's basically being wheeled out to praise the yeah. man who decided he wasn't good enough to play for City, yeah. and then commentate on them and tell everybody how good he is. Like yeah. when he was saying, um, "Well, we're you know he's the best manager in the world, so we're uh, so we're led to believe, so we're told, <laughs> so I'm told to say." Yeah, but yeah, yeah it's we've, a bit we've seen uh, Mick Richards getting wheeled out a bit more now as well. He seems he's to very be getting good. applauded. He's very um, good. Are we biased, though? Well, exactly. Well, we've had a lack of representation in the media over a few years now. And we're probably getting more names to be able to wheel in front of the camera because we're of of a better era now. So hopefully more players like Company had a a, a time in front of the camera just before he left. Um, Steph Horton from the women's team has been used by Sky. So hopefully we're now going to get more representation in the media because if if you've never played for Liverpool or United, you don't get put on Mm. on the panel. Yeah, and the the weird thing is, we've said it for for quite a while, you don't get... While they're City legends, you know, stick Paul Dickoff and Sean Gota in the studio, it doesn't have the same impact to anybody else watching, does it? I know, I think we have to admit that, don't we? Yeah. And Summerby went on for one, uh, one, told a few home truths at Old Trafford and was never never allowed back. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Regarding McManaman specifically, though, I was talking to my brother and sister about this, saying, do we think he was being biased? And apparently there appears to have been a bit of a retraction from him. He seemed to have he came round to the idea that perhaps it was definitely a penalty. Perhaps uh, Jesus didn't push Ramos, and perhaps that he didn't throw himself to the ground. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, in terms of a push. I think it was a bit light, wasn't it, for the penalty? But he also caught his heels as well. So you know, it's that old thing, isn't it? You cut across someone and you go down. It's a foul. Yeah, soz. Yeah. And uh, finally, Louise Streeter asks on the emails, uh, which City player should be the first inducted into the new Premier League Hall of Fame? Vincent Company, without question for me. Um, is Because is, is there criteria that they have to have left or can they be a current player? I in, don't know. Yeah, is should it probably have checked 
Should probably attract that. Uh, didn't, so I don't know. Um, I think the main criteria for the actual Hall of Fame is going to be how well have you played for Liverpool in United? <laughs> <laughs> that was my first tweet with Klopp and Van Dijk. But if it's if the criteria is that they have to have left company without fail, what he's done is lifted four Premier League titles, uh, transcended uh, club uh, rivalries in terms of his ambas- ambassadorship off the pitch as Very well. true. And obviously, if we're doing current players, Aguero for giving everyone that moment, not just City fans, he's give the sport that moment. So they'd be my first two shoe-ins, definitely. Where does maybe someone like David Silva, Yaya Torre, sit, Chris? I think Torre um, definitely deserves to be in there, but will he? whether he'll get in there is uh, another question. I mean, to score 20, 20 plus goals from midfield in a from season. From midfield in a season and not get, you know, player of the year was a bit weird, so I wouldn't uh, hold my breath on that one. But um, you can't look past company and Aguero for for our candidates, but I think next in line, yeah, it's going to be Torre and uh, and David. Joe Hart? Because, uh, I mean, you think of, of where Joe Hart is now. He's clearly not having a good time of it at the moment and hasn't since his last season at City. But for what he was part of in that, that first kind of City dominant side, he's got he's got to have a shout, hasn't he? Don't know. I mean, City City Hall of Fame definitely. Premier League Hall of Fame. I mean, he was. Yeah, he had a, a great time with us. But... Two titles, a few yeah. golden gloves as well. <clears throat> yeah, maybe. You're just just goalkeeper agenda, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry <on>. about that. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen. We finally twigged. Yeah, yeah. God, I can't seen, believe you pushed that one for so long. Seen straight through me there. <laughs> uh, right. Well, that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to rate it and subscribe to the show. It actually helps us with the funding this season through the adverts. So get a friend to do it as well while you're at it. If you'd like to become a Patreon backer, then we do a bonus show for Patreon. That's two dollars a month, or about one pound fifty-five at current market rate. And for that amount each month, you'll get four or five 15 to 20 minute extra episodes all on random city topics. This week's is on City's biggest European performances of recent years. Special thanks to my guests, Chris Higginbottom. Thank you very much. And Adam Carter. Cheers. I'll be back next week to review the League Cup final and City's FA Cup tie with Sheffield Wednesday. See you then. was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.